Hi, my name is Dominic Graziano, and I'm on media staff. You're listening to Week 8 of the False Creek Podcast. The speaker this week was Ed Newton. False Creek Week 8, how we feeling tonight? Come on, make some noise. Can I hear you? If you got a Bible, let's go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 5. Come on, let's clap for that. We're grateful for God and his word for us, the greatest love letter that's ever been written. But I want to share a message tonight that is last night we talked about the mystery friends. We don't know their names, but we know that they had a concern and a conviction and a commitment to hear that confession that your sins are forgiven. Rise up and take your mat and walk and go home and tell your story. Tonight we talk about not the mystery friends, but we talk about this mystery woman. That is, we don't know her name. All we know is that she's the one with the blood flow problem. And not only that, but we understand that she's got a mystery condition. We don't know what her condition is. We just know that she's the woman with the blood flow problem. So we don't know her name, and we don't know her condition. But in Mark chapter 5 tonight, if you got something to write with and something to write down on, whether that's sunscreen, bug spray, chapstick, whatever you got to write with tonight, I want to encourage you to take some notes tonight. I want to give you a couple principles. But I want to begin reading in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. And you're with me tonight. Come on, say amen. amen. Mark chapter 5, verse 25, it says this. And there was a woman, mystery woman, who had a discharge of blood. That is a mystery condition. For 12 years, the Bible would also say in verse 26, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Verse 27, it says, and when she heard the reports about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if I could touch even his garment, I will be made well, point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, I don't want you to write down this particular principle. She was, and she must have been a false creek gal. She was destitute, but determined. Destitute, but determined. Now, I don't know if you've ever been destitute. That's a very interesting word. That is, you're at a place of brokenness. We understand that her symptom led to suffering, and that suffering led to sorrow. I'll say that again. Her symptom led to suffering, and her suffering led to sorrow. That is, for many of us in this room, to be destitute or broken is to be marked by something that you have done wrong or maybe committed as a mistake. My daughter Lola is quite sensitive about things like this. That is, when she begins to go into the kitchen there's going to be a moment where her two other sisters and her brother will remind her of an epic incident that took place in the kitchen nearly seven years ago that involved a macaroni and cheese in a microwave. That is one particular moment, thinking that she knew what to do and how to do it, she put macaroni and cheese into the microwave, not for 60 seconds, but for six minutes. I've never seen flames shoot off macaroni cheese like this particular moment. And still to this day, almost seven years later, her sisters, her siblings, remind her often of a moment that she would be forever marked as the macaroni and cheese moment. And so in that, understand, there's that, that 
sarcasm that begins to be pointed in her direction. There's that moment of, do you, do you remember that moment, Lola? And I use that as a simple analogy because for some of you, you are marked by a mistake. But this woman I'm talking about tonight did nothing wrong. And she's marked not by a mistake, but by a medical mystery that nobody could cure. The Bible would say she struggled with this for 12 years. And not only did she struggle with this, she was identified by this. We don't even know her name. And even to this day in 2019, with all the Bible information we have, we still refer to her. Even though the end of the story is that she's healed, we still refer to her as the woman with the blood flow problem. Isn't it interesting how we refer to people in the Bible such as people because of their mistakes or things that would happen that we could not fully understand. We don't know their name. We don't know their story. We just refer to them as their symptom. And I want to speak this over your life. For many of you, you've come from some very dysfunctional backgrounds. For some of you, much like me, you've got a lot of chemical imbalance stuff that allows you to, to walk a very dark road at times. I'm not going to stand on this stage and pretend like I got it all together. There are moments in my life that I battle depression. There are moments in my life that the worst enemy of Ed Newton is Ed Newton. There are moments my insecurity stands in front of me and reminds me often of my learning disabilities and everything that makes it very difficult for me to be able to comprehend when I read. And therefore, in the midst of that, oftentimes my insecurities and my inadequacies stand in front of me. And, and in the back of my mind is this tape that plays when I hear a high school guidance counselor, when I was a high school senior that looked at me based upon my SAT scores. I made a 540 on my SAT. For those of you that are not familiar with SAT, we're at a perfect score. It was 1,600. You got 400 points for signing your name correctly. And when I made a 540, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget when the guidance counselor looked at me and just said, hey, um, Ed, you're not college material. And I could still, at almost 44 years old, still hear that tape being played in my mind. And for some of you, you got somebody that reminds you of your mistakes or your mishaps. But for this woman that we're talking about tonight, she was destitute, but she was determined. Now, understand that she is physically exhausted. We don't know her medical condition. It's a mystery. All we know is this, is that she's got a blood flow problem, which means she's hemorrhaging. Which means if she's losing blood, and I'm not a scientist to say the least, but I do know this. If you're losing blood, that means that you are physically exhausted because you are iron deficient. Now, for some of you, you understand what that means, especially our ladies. I'm not trying to gross anybody out tonight as we talk about biology, but you have to understand something. There is a physical fatigue that happens when blood begins to leave the body. And as I begin to walk through that, personally, several years ago, I'll never forget I was preaching in Canbin, Ohio. I woke up at 3 a.m. feeling as if I was having a, a massive heart attack. I got a choice. My choice is I could go to the emergency room, but my other choice is I can get on the 6 o'clock flight that I'm scheduled for, go home, and then go to the hospital. And my rationale and reasoning was this. I am not going to die in a Best Western in Camden, Ohio. So I got on a plane. I don't recommend that. That's not my advice to you. I should have gone to the hospital at that particular moment. But I was like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die at home. Because it'll be 3 p.m. before the housekeeping crew finds me, so I'm going to go home. So I get off the plane. And at that moment, my wife looks at me. My wife's name's Stephanie. She goes, Ed, you don't look good. I go, I don't feel good. I feel like something is sitting on my chest. I don't know if you know this or not, but if anytime you go into the emergency room and tell somebody, I feel like something is sitting on my chest, you get immediate attention. And I'm now going through a stress test, an EKG testing. 
I'm connected up to every wire and cable possible stuff sticking to me. And it's at that moment they put me on a treadmill and all these particular tests reveal something that's about to happen that I'm way too young for at that particular point in life. And that's called a heart cath, which means they take a probing device, go through a major artery, and they begin to probe the corridors of your heart. And so after I come out of this, this sweet doctor looks at me and she goes, we have inconclusive information of what's going on in your heart, which means we're going to have to probe further. But i got to ask you a couple questions. So I'm coming up out of anesthesia, and she looks at me, and she goes, two questions i got to ask you, Ed. What do you eat and what do you drink? I go, uh, you really want to know? She was like, no, seriously, uh, like there's some stuff going on. You're either bleeding internally, which was explaining the fact that I was feeling fatigued, iron deficient. She goes, what are you doing? I said, ma'am, the um, only reason why I know this is I have to keep receipts for tax purposes, and I've eaten $6,000 worth of fast food this past year. She looked at me, and she went, are you kidding me? I was like, no. I was like, I'm getting hungry just you talking about it right now. And then she looked at me, and she said this. She goes, what do you drink? I go, you really want to know? She goes, seriously, would you stop playing games with me right now? I go, ma'am, I'm embarrassed about this. She goes, you're an alcoholic. I go, no, I, I don't drink alcohol at all. She goes, what are you doing? Something you're doing. I, goes, I said, ma'am, um, here's the deal. This is the part I didn't want to tell you. I drink seven Diet Mountain Dews every day. Oh, don't act like I'm the only one with an addiction, right? So, <laughs> but she had the same response, actually, that you did. She was like, are you kidding me? I was like, no, ma'am, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Like, I eat fast food and I drink Diet Mountain Dews. And she looked at me and she was like, so do you want to grow old with your wife? I was like, absolutely. She was like, you want to see your kids grow up? I was like, yeah. She was like, you want to see your kids' kids? I was like, not right now. I'm good. But she wasn't laughing at all. She was like, hey, something's got to change today. I was like, could you be more specific? She was like, your diet. I was like, well, could you be more specific? She was like, you got to reorganize your diet, and this Diet Mountain Dew stuff, you got to give up. So I gave up Diet Mountain Dew and then picked up Diet Dr. Pepper. Can I get an amen from somebody? <laughs> Hello. I, I've... I've backed it down a little bit, but you need to know this. Like, so being iron deficient, here I was running marathons in the best shape of my life. And as I am in the best shape of my life, I'm dying on the inside, and I have gone to see multiple people up to this point, and nobody can help me. I've Googled everything. I've talked to a lot of friends. I've talked to a lot of athletes. And nobody looked at me and went, hey, dude, um, you have an addiction to fast food and Diet Mountain Dew, and you might want to back off some of that stuff. This lady, she's tried everything. She's not only physically exhausted, she's financially exploited. You go, Ed, I don't, I don't know what that means. That means she has spent everything she's had on trying to find the answer to what's wrong with her. So she's not only physically exhausted, she's financially exploited. And don't miss this, she's also religiously excluded. You go, Ed, I, I, I don't get re religiously excluded. Well, just write this down if you don't mind. Underneath destitute but determined, Luke chapter 15 would say that if you, therefore, had a blood flow problem, you are not allowed to come into the temple or into the temple gates or into the temple presence. Here's the reason why, because that could make somebody unclean. So here's a woman that's financially, physically, and religiously exhausted, exploited, and excluded. So here's what's happening. She's at the brink of a breakthrough and doesn't even know it. But she hears about Jesus 
And this is where I believe that she must have been a Falls Creek girl. Here's the reason why. She was like, I don't care what anybody thinks. They may not let me into the church because I got a blood flow problem. I am physically exhausted, but I got a choice tonight. And my choice is I could die right here. But somehow, some way, through the rumor mill, I heard that Jesus is in my town. So I either could die right here or I can get up and I can go to Jesus. She was destitute, but determined. But point number two, write this down. Not only was she destitute, but determined. But number two, she was discerning in her desperation. Discerning in her desperation. Now, while you're writing that down, let me just unpack for just a second this word that is desperate. What, what I mean by desperate is like a moment where I was at TCBY. Have you ever been to TCBY? Anybody still eating TCBY besides myself and my family? No, no, no takers on that. They must not be doing well in the industry right now. However, we were at TCBY in Gulf Shores, Alabama, and this is honestly what happened. We had just come back from the beach. So I got board shorts on, tank top, flat bill. Not that that's important to the story, except for the fact I have a bathing suit on, which means I do not have my wallet. I got one credit card and a driver's license. That's all I got in the car keys. All I needed was one credit card. So we're at TCBY. We've placed our order. I got four kids, by the way, six total. I'm at the end, and all my kids get their ice cream, and they're already sitting down, and they are devouring the ice cream, and I'm the last one. So I reach into that side pocket on my board shorts and then begin to pull out that one credit card, and she looks at that credit card, and she goes, we do not accept American Express. And my kids are done with their ice cream. And I said, ma'am, um, can, can you make an exception? She was like, is Visa or MasterCard? I was like, ma'am, this is all I got. She was like, you don't have cash? I was like, no, that's what I mean by desperate. You're like, Ed, what did you do? Well, we had already placed an order for Domino's. But by the way, we used the app for that. So I go to Domino's, and I'm like, hey, dude, we've already ordered a pizza. So can, can I just, like, pay extra can you just charge me just like $20 extra and give me cash back? He was like, hey, bro, we, we don't do stuff like that here. I was like, okay. I went to a gas station, put some Orbitz gum up on the counter and just said, hey, can you give me $20 back? I mean, I know the gum is like $2. Could you give me $20 back? He was like, hey, bro, we don't do this here. And I literally got in my really cool minivan and began to cry out to God. And I was like, God, I don't know what to do. My kids and my wife are held hostage at TCBY. I don't know what to do. And the Spirit of God, and I know for some of you, you're like, uh, God doesn't talk like that. No, God talked to me that way that, that day. And he was like, go to Walgreens. I was like, God, I don't think that's what I need to do. So I go to Walgreens, and I'm like, God, I'm in Walgreens. What, what do I need to do now? And the Spirit of God, I'm so thankful for this because right there in front of me were Visa gift cards. Play this out. So I buy a Visa gift card with the One American Express, and I go into the TCBY with the Visa gift card and able to be released from the debt. But can I say this to you? To put that in perspective in regards to being desperate, but yet, don't miss this, and this is point number two, desperate but discerning. She's going, I don't know what to do, but I do know this, and it's not Walgreens but it's Jesus. And she begins to work through the crowd. And what I love about what the Bible says, I want you to notice this in verse 28. It says, "For she said this, if I could touch even his garment, 
not if I could touch his garment, but if I could touch his garment, I will be made well. What a statement of faith that was. Not hopefully I'll be made well, not possibly I'll be made well. She goes, I will be made well. What a faith in our Jesus. And it's at that moment that she begins to break through the crowd, which, by the way, for her to touch anybody is now making everybody else unclean. But if she doesn't care about religious superstition, she doesn't regard this idea of the fact of what will people think for, about me. Here's the reason why, because when you get destitute and you get desperate, you don't care about what anybody thinks. And can I just say this tonight? We believe that there's a miracle and a breakthrough about to happen in this place. We believe that in order for something to transpire in this place that will be transformative for your life and not just your life but for eternal life, you need to know you've got to get to a place in your life where you don't care what anybody thinks. Which means at the end of this particular message, I'm going to invite many of you that have been seeking and searching for something to satisfy your life and the answer is Jesus. In just a few moments, I'm going to ask that you would put your pride aside in a spirit of destitution and a spirit of desperation. You would leave everything behind and you would come to Jesus tonight. And this lady that we don't even know by name, mystery woman, mystery condition. She said this, if I could but touch. The way that this translates in the Greek language, and let me just nerd out for just a second. She doesn't just say to herself, if I could just touch. She literally is saying this over and over and over again as she's walking in the direction of Jesus. If I could just touch the hem of the garment. If I could just touch the hem of the garment. If I could just touch the hem of the garment, which begs the question. Come on, y'all still with me tonight? Say amen. Why would she say, if I can just touch the hem of the garment? Now, my Bible, it is the English Standard Version, and there's a lot of great translations, but it's a word-for-word -word translation for me, which is a big deal. would say garment. When we think garment, 2019, we're thinking about, like, okay, shirt, pants. But obviously in Bible times, there's something that you need to understand. I, I didn't grow up in church, and so I needed the preacher dude to break this down for me. So Jesus, being a good Jew, that is a man who would walk not only with this flowing robe, but also would, would walk with what's called a prayer shawl. It's called the tallit. That is, the tallit would be that prayer shawl that for many of us we've seen. But on the four corners of the tallit would be known as what was referred to as the seat seat. It's spelled T-Z-I-T-Z-I-T. -Z -I -T -Z -I -T. It sounds like zit zit, but it's seat seat. So on the count of three, could we just say the word seat seat together? Because I want to make sure we got some audience participation tonight. So on the count of three, I want you to say seat seat. One, two, three. So when we talk about the seat seat, now watch this. On the four corners of the tallit, which is the prayer shawl, would be these long looking like strings, but there would be five knots on every strand of strings. And the reason why it'd be five knots on all four corners is because it would refer to the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Today, you may not see what's called the tallit or the prayer shawl, but you'll see Jewish men that will have the seat seat attached to their jeans. And they'll rub the five knots because it reminds them of the commandments of God. Y'all still with me? Say yeah. Now, when you look at that string, you'll actually see four blue stripes. Now, I get nerded out about stuff like this, but the four blue stripes is a statement of royalty. It refers to what's known as the personal name of God, Yahweh. But a good Jew would not say the word Yahweh out loud out of fear of irreverence for 
God. So instead, when they would write it, they would remove the vowels and it would spell Y-H-W-H. The four blue stripes would refer to Y-H-W-H. It wouldn't use the letters, but every Jew would know that was in reference to Yahweh God. So Jesus is walking with what's known as the tallit. And on all four corners is the seat seat. And as he's walking behind him, this woman with the blood flow problem, we don't know her name, we don't know her condition, we just know she's been bleeding out for 12 years and she's physically exhausted. But she's finding enough strength to break through the crowd. She's been financially exploited. And people that would say they're religious want nothing to do with her. And she breaks through the crowd, and of all the things that she could grab, she grabs the seat seat, many commentators and scholars would say. Now, why would she grab the seat seat? Great question. Though, though you may not have picked this up, that is when Dylan was rapping through the books of the Bible, you heard the book of Malachi. And in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, it would say this, that the Messiah, which, by the way, is a very fanciful way of saying that the coming one, the Savior, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, would say that the Son of Righteousness would come with healing in His wings. Come on, I'm about to have a kinetic outburst on this stage. That the Son of Righteousness would come with healing in His wings. So the reason why point number two is that she was discerning in desperation, discerning in desperation. Why was she discerning? Because when she got to Jesus, what she is saying is this, I'm going to get near him because I believe that he's not only Jesus, he's the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy. And I believe he is walking in the embodiment, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, that there is healing in his wings which were referred to as the seat seat and she grabs the seat seat that's got the five knots on it referring to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy known as the law there's only one person that could have ever fulfilled the law and his name's Jesus who is Yahweh how do we know God's personal because Jesus and when she grabs that it's at that moment that all of a sudden Jesus asked the question, who touched me? And the disciples are like, yo, Jesus, um, we're in a crowd right now. There's a lot of people that touched you. And then he would say this, and I want you to notice this in your Bible. In verse 30, it says, and Jesus perceiving in himself that power, by the way, that word power, let me nerd out one more time. The word power there is the word dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite. Dynamite power has gone out from my body. And at that moment, you'll hear Jesus say this. Immediately he turned to the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Now, there's a lot of people that have touched him, that is brushed up against him. But what's significant about this, it's not just who touched my clothes. It's who in faith reached out and grabbed the hem of my garment that is the seat seat, that symbolic reality that there's healing in my wings. Who would have enough faith to believe that Jesus, myself, as he's speaking to a crowd, that I have the power to change their life? And all of a sudden, when he turns around, he sees a woman that everybody knows and everybody sees that she's the one with the blood flow problem. And it's at that moment that she's looking up towards Jesus, 
for she is in humility and brokenness. And Jesus is looking down at her. And I want to give you point number three, and we'll wrap this up. Not only do we see that she was destitute but determined, discerning in her desperation, in a step of faith, in a statement of faith, she says, I will be made healed. And when she grabbed the hem of the garment of Jesus in faith, believing that healing was in his power, here's what you'll notice. In verse 34, what a word this is. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. There's a phrase I want us to pay attention to, and that is point number three. I want you to write this down. We see a declaration of deliverance. There is a statement, a declaration of deliverance. She has spent everything that she's had in effort. I mean, she's Googled everything. She's used every essential oil. She's tried, she's tried and read. That's all right. Y'all just stay with me. There's some stuff happening on the stage. Hey, can we just not let the enemy get the victory tonight? Is that all right? Because I'm good. I don't know what's happening on this stage right now. But I think if one of our musicians or somebody backstage could cut off this amp back here, that matter of fact, I, I, let me just turn this off. Is that all right? Hello, I fixed it myself. Praise Jesus, all right? It's real simple. Off, on. There we go. I got it. I turned it off. Hey, can, can I just use this as a moment? It said, literally, it said power. Power. Dunamite, dynamite power. There's power in the name of Jesus, which means that when demons in the satanic host of hell try to prevent you from hearing what's happening tonight, we're just going to turn that off tonight in Jesus' name. We're not going to listen to the enemy that's going to say, don't, don't respond to this message. Don't reach out in faith. He's just telling you a bunch of stuff that you don't need to pay attention to, and we're just going to shut the host of hell up tonight and claim victory in Jesus' name. And this woman, when she reached out and grabbed the, the hem of the garment of God, Jesus says these words. Don't miss this. Oh, could you, could you just breathe this in tonight? He does not refer to her as woman with the blood flow problem. What does verse 34 say? Daughter. Can I say this tonight? Jesus wants to give you a new identity. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ. He or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Your symptom is our sin. It's led to suffering. It's led us to sorrow. But in salvation, in Jesus' name, there's a new identity found in faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. Can I get an amen from somebody in the house tonight? But it's going to require you being completely, honestly vulnerable and transparent and go, I'm broken, I'm destitute, I'm determined, and I'm discerning. This Jesus is who I've been looking for. And can I say this to you? He's been looking for you. He's brought you to this place. But it's going to require a step of faith, a statement of faith, the believing, I know that Jesus can change me. And when he looked at her, he said, daughter, 12 years she's been ignored. Twelve years she's been marginalized. Twelve years she's not been recognized as being a person of worth. But what does Jesus do? Because he always does this. Jesus bestows worth. Jesus bestows wellness. Jesus bestows wholeness. And then he gives a word of witness and says, 
be healed of your disease. But there's a phrase I want you to pay attention to in verse 34. Go in peace. What did she not have for 12 years? Could you agree with me? She had no peace. But can I say this to somebody tonight? This could be your very symptom. That you've been seeking and searching for something to give you peace, tranquility, that is wholeness. But only Jesus is not only the one, only the one who could save you, but he is the only one who can make you whole again. And I want to just kind of bring this message to a close tonight. And I want to just share this simple illustration because it's going to require you to recognize that every bit of your life has led you to this place for a divine intervention. In May of 2002, in Colombia, Leonardo Diaz and some friends went hiking. That is, it was going to be a pretty severe hike. That is, it was going to go into high altitude, and they were in the Andes Mountains. And therefore, based upon just what they had predicted, they thought that everything was going to go according to plan. However, the weather shifted. And in 2002, true story, all of a sudden, a, bl a blizzard begins to change their plans, and there, Leonardo gets separated from his friends. It's at that moment, as the story continues on, as he would give not only a statement, but also a testimony of how there would be a, an intervention that would have been of supernatural repercussions. Leonardo Diaz would say this, I'd eaten all my last meals that is in my rations, I'd drink all my water, and I was preparing to die. In a blizzard, 2002, Andes Mountains, and I thought it was over. He said, everything I had in my bag, I'd eaten. It was done. He said, I had a cell phone, and because I had the cell phone and I had some battery usage, it was inoperable. Here's the reason why, because I did not have enough prepaid minutes. They were using calling cards. He said, so I didn't even reach for my cell phone. He goes, in my last final moments of about to give up, he goes, my phone rings. In the Andes Mountains. True story, 2002, month of May. He said it was a solicitor. I got three solicitor phone calls today. We get solicitor phone calls all the time. He said, but there was a woman who called me from Bell South asking me in that moment of utter desperation, I'm destitute, I'm about to die. And I answer the phone in a stage of hypothermia. And she's asking me, do I want to purchase any more cell phone minutes? That's what she's asking me. I'm about to die. And Leonardo Diaz would say this, that she was not just some solicitor, that she was an angel from God. And because of that, they were able to triangulate, that is, his GPS coordinates. He would be rescued, and he would get the chance to meet this random person but actually was an angel of intervention. But in a moment, when everything was unraveling at the seams, a phone rings, getting his attention, that it's not done and it's not over. Can I say this to you? There's nothing random or happenstance or just circumstantial about you being here. Think about it, skinny white dude on a stage right now speaking right to the core of who you are that you have been invited by friends that care enough about you. Somebody sponsored your way here, and somewhere in the midst of all of this, you're like, wow, I didn't even know stuff like this existed, and today has been an unbelievable day, but for some of you, it's still not fully made sense of why you're here, and here's the answer, that there's a God that's sending you a message right here, right now, 
asking you to pick up the phone, and here's what he want to tell you. He loves you. He died for you. He came back from the dead for you. And right here, right now, you can find life and life eternal. And based upon that promise and that truth tonight, it's going to require you to be just like this person that we're talking about that would not care about what anybody thinks. Come on, look at me. Y'all still listen and say, yeah. One of the number one reasons why people don't respond to Jesus, they'll say a couple things. They'll say stuff like this. I believe in Jesus. Can I just make this statement? The, the demons believe in Jesus. There's a big difference between you knowing about Jesus and receiving Jesus. But the fact that right now you're going, this message is speaking right to me. It's not because of the fact that I'm able to somehow articulate words in such a way to really know what's going on in your life. I, I don't know many of you. I know some of you, but I don't know many of you. But I know this at the very core of who you are. You are searching for something to give you worth and value. Could, but could you let Jesus speak over your life tonight? Son daughter but in order for you to be a part of the family of God it requires you to ultimately in humility say you know what heaven's perfect and I'm not and I admit that I've fallen short and my sin condition has left me in a symptom of suffering and shame and guilt but tonight I'm coming to Jesus and when you come to Jesus in humility and you reach out for faith and healing in his wings can I say this to you you'll never be the same again I'm not saying that following Jesus means that your life is going to somehow be unicorns and rainbows and lucky charms. That's not what I'm saying to you. It does not mean that we're exempt from hardship. I do not want to somehow, some way, soft sell you what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus will be the most difficult thing you've ever done in your entire life, but it'll be the most rewarding thing you ever do in your entire life. Here's the reason why. Because you'll finally have something that this woman gained. Not only just physical healing is what she gained, but she received spiritual healing because he said, daughter, Go, your faith has made you well, which means not just physical, but spiritual. And for some of you, what you need tonight is spiritual healing in your soul. And how do you receive that? It's by you coming to the great physician, Jesus Christ, the greatest doctor of all of the universe, as he speaks into your life and calls you son and daughter. Come on, let's stand together, heads bowed, eyes closed for just a brief moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed for just a brief moment. I want to say this. Thank you so much for listening. Incredible group of people gathered in this room tonight where we're going to let a distraction detour us from hearing what God had in store for us. There's power in the name of Jesus. Your past doesn't define you. Your future has been written for you. And tonight the Bible is very clear that there's none righteous, no, not one. For all of sin falls short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Saved from what? Your sin. Saved from what? Yourself. Saved from something to something. What is that to something? His name's Jesus. A living, breathing, real, relevant relationship with Jesus. That takes all of your issues, all your struggles, all your symptoms and says, bring it all to me. So tonight, here's what I want to ask you. I'm not asking you, do, do you believe in Jesus? Because the demons believe in Jesus. But has there ever been a time in your life where you allowed what I have shared or maybe what you've heard in the past lead you to a point in time where you just said, this Jesus, I now give my life to. I 
give you my life, Jesus. I made that decision when I was 15 years old. And if you've never done that before, we want to invite you to Jesus tonight. So here's how this is going to go down. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God will give you courage. If you're going, I want this Jesus, I want to receive him as my personal Lord and Savior, then tonight I'm going to ask as soon as I say amen, and the band begins to sing. We're going to sing through a couple verses, and I'm going to just be kneeled right here at the front. I'm going to wait for you to come. For anybody in the room that goes, I want to give my life to Jesus tonight, this is not a moment of rededication. This is not a call to ministry. Those things are important. But tonight, this is a moment where you're going, I want this Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven of all my sin. And I want to know that heaven is my final destination. But I want this Jesus. And if you've never done that before, you thought maybe you've done it, but you realize you haven't. Tonight, as soon as I say amen and we start to sing, you need to leave your seat. And I want you to come meet me right here at the front. I'll be kneeling down on the front of the stage waiting for you to come. You can't care what anybody thinks. This invitation is for you. So God, I pray that you give courage and bravery to my friends. Soon to be brothers and sisters. Soon to be sons and daughters of you. So God, I pray you remove fear. Would you remove this idea of what will people think? But instead, God, would you give courage to that one young man or that one young lady that goes, I want this Jesus to leave their seat, to say excuse me 17 times and walk down this aisle and say, I want this Jesus. And I don't care what anybody thinks. God, I pray you give courage to that one girl, that one guy who will allow this flood of people to come. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, you come. I'll be kneeling right here at the front. If you want Jesus, you step out of your seat. You come this way. Thanks for listening.